Well, hello there, brave fundraisers. Welcome to episode 47 of the Fundraising Bright Spots podcast. My name is Rob Woods, and if you work in fundraising, and if you want some ideas, but also to feel an extra sprinkle of inspiration, then this is the podcast for you. And we're going to do a slightly different show today. I'm joined by my colleague at Brightspot, Ben Swart. Hello, Ben. Good morning, Rob. Lovely to be here. Thank you for joining us. I wrote you in at the last minute because <laughs> I wanted to do a slightly different show. Um, I'm getting a bit nostalgic because about a year ago, I started this uh, this idea of doing this podcast. Um, and when it came to March, I'm so glad that I, I got it started in November. But I've managed to get an episode out almost every week of this crazy year. And um, not so much as a, a kind of a, a nost- nostalgic navel-gazing exercise, but I'm conscious that quite a few of our listeners may not have heard, especially the early episodes. And I wanted to have a look back at particular episodes that I've uh, learned most from and that I've, I've heard from feedback have been most helpful and most inspiring to our listeners. Um, I hope that the act of listening to this in and of itself, you'll, you'll get some good ideas anyway. But equally, I hope the act of listening to this might just remind you or make you aware for the first time of a couple of really juicy episodes that if you go back and listen to them now, they'll help you with your fundraising challenges right now. And I wrote Ben in uh, to help me talk this through and think this through. Um, ben, are you up for playing the role of Parkinson? Yeah, I, I absolutely am, Rob, um, especially as you know, throughout the last year, I found that the podcasts have been really helpful for me to be able to refer people on for, for so many of the challenges they're having um, n- now more than ever, but also before the pandemic and when it's long gone. Um, and so actually, because we're going to be short on time, I'm interested, Rob, to just dive straight in. Is there wh- Where would you start if you were talking to people about your podcasts, the ones that you knew helped to inspire action or learn something new? Wh- wh- what's the first one that you want to, to look at? Okay, so... I want to go way back. One of my favourites, not least because I was learning what on earth this is all about, but because the results are so strong, so such a gives such a jolt to an existing paradigm. I I really enjoyed the interview with Andy King, Mm. and he was talking about some of his experiences at East African playgrounds, and the gist of that story is that he was just really curious about our charity goes to all this trouble to take uh, mostly students uh, who care about our cause out uh, abroad to do a trek and then to help build a playground. And then when it's all that effort and they're so inspired, they really get it. And um, I think at the time, the charity made some attempt to encourage those people to carry on supporting, but really not very many agreed to it might have been as low as three or four percent and Andy was just really thoughtful and curious it's just this doesn't make sense this they care so much surely there must be a way to uh help tap into that motivation and that caring for someone to carry on being part of our network and and carry on supporting and all all the details of how he went about actually coming up with the solution in that episode but you know the uh, one of the top line things was surprise, surprise. 
getting curious and gathering more insight about the point of view of those people, mostly students and what they could or couldn't afford, and therefore lowering the, the request, the, the offer as to what they might sign up to, to give each month to just being almost a no-brainer. How, how could one not afford th just this small amount per month and then creating some extra value and in, in terms of a, a, a network and, and events that they could attend to stay in touch with each other and get to stay inspired. I mean, there's a lot more to it than that. But the, the thing I love about it was it um, his determination and his curiosity to try out a different way that was consistent with, with the insight he had. And, you know, long story short, you know, they found that up to 60% would stay and uh, carry on supporting with a regular financial donation when he, he tested different ways of, of that entry point and the way of making the ask. And the reason I love it is right now, in tough times, understandably, lots of charities are struggling but when they they analyze why we are struggling sometimes it's it this is so hard but they they blame things like donor fatigue some of that may be true but but quite often i've andy's example proves to me quite often the reason people are no longer supporting isn't because people don't care anymore it's just because the way a charity is currently interacting with its supporters or not interacting with the supporters is not quite right and if you're really determined to keep hanging in there with the truth, but the people still care and change your proposition in line with good insight, you can get, you know, real turnaround results where you're helping people to carry on caring and, and give. Yeah. And I, Rob, I, I particularly like this because I know that someone listening to this will have been in a meeting. And if not previously, you're going to be in a meeting internally where people will look at an event you do, a fundraiser, a campaign, where there just are more people signed up to it and, the, and you'll be asked the question, how on earth do we keep these people? How do we encourage them to eventually start fundraising? What do we do with this number of people? And you'll have tried lots of things. And I love that perhaps unlike other, other podcasts, in, in 25 minutes, you just keep going deeper and deeper and deeper with Andy to try and solve that, that problem. So I, I, I particularly like that episode too. Mm. Thank you. Yeah, it, it's, um, I said I wouldn't talk too much about any <laughs> given one of these, but it's also a really good example of um, supporters maybe supporting you in one way. A lot of our job is to give them every opportunity to carry on supporting in another. Yeah. And, and just recently talking to Richard Turner on the recent episode uh, when he was talking about Asthma UK, and just the wonderful results they've got from people who are reading valuable information to help them with their asthma. They've been trialing uh, Wikipedia style or Guardian style um, requests that, that those people who are getting the value should consider a donation. Um, and so it's, it's a, a, a boldness to try these different things. Um, and again, I think that old chestnut, you know, for a long time, many charities have said, well, you can't, can't ask our beneficiaries. There are beneficiaries. Well, it, Richard Turner in, in that very latest episode we made is showing, well, actually, may, maybe our beneficiaries are some of the key people sh you should give the opportunity to choose to give to uh, as long as you do it in the appropriate way. But I want to move on to another one. And again, it was an early one which really inspired me. And it was um, 
interviewing an absolute force of nature uh, called Joe Baker from Child Rescue Nepal. And it's only a pretty small organization, but the, I, I took so much from that interview, not least because it's a glorious example of quite deliberately sticking to a strategy and a recipe for how to do a media appeal well, mm. broadly, accepting the advice of, of, from Radio 4 as to how to do how Radio 4 appeal and getting stunning results. This was a couple of years ago, but there's, their small charity got one of the highest results of the year for the Radio 4 appeal. Um, um, and so that's well worth listening to anyway. Um, the reason I also want to mention it now is, is clearly it wasn't a fluke because they did another one earlier this year, just a couple of months ago. And I'm, uh, I think a pretty good result most charities are, would be happy with is, is to get £20,000 from one of those appeals. And they smashed it again a couple of months ago and got up about around £60,000. And so it just shows that having the right philosophy, and in particular in Joe's case, and her colleagues approach to donors caring deeply about donors rather than paying lip service to that and at some le level sort of allowing them to take to take them a little for granted um when you listen to episode three of the podcast you just get a, such a strong sense that she's really serious about how how her supporters of child rescue nepal are part of the family mm -hmm. and again it's one thing to feel that i also love the the level of precision and detail and organization that backs up that down to um yes, yes not only storytelling because you and i talk about that a lot but um i, I just the, the love the notion of of them having these wonderful thank you cards that are, are, are kind of printed up that can that they send out to anyone and everyone who's done a great thing but then they even have lovely warm colored envelopes and then nice um uh, heart-shaped stickers and sparkly stickers and so on that go on the on the on the backs of the envelopes to maximize the feeling you get when you receive something from child rescue nepal and the bit i is one step further than that because i would love that idea but knowing my own uh personality i would really struggle with this next bit which is they're organized enough to keep a track of which donors have received which cards already <laughs> so that Nothing is left to chance. If you've already received that warm, lovely card, you're unlikely to receive it again. So it's that following through on the detail mm. that shows just how passionate you are about these worthy notions of caring about your donors. Um, again, I could say so much more, but again, um, if you've not listened to that episode, uh, I recommend, uh, I think that's, I think that was episode number three. Hey, it's Rob, and I just wanted to jump in really quickly to let you know about our most popular training day for fundraising teams, which is called Storytelling and Influence. And the reason we're so excited is that this year we've been discovering it's working as well as ever when delivered over Zoom, just like it did for the years and years that we've delivered it as a classroom training session for fundraising teams. And if you were able to attend our Breakfast Club for Fundraising Leaders just the other day, then you would have heard Max from a homelessness charity talking about how the techniques that his team learned on this course were one of the factors that helped them to win a wonderful partnership worth more than £250,000 literally a couple of months ago. So if you're the leader of a fundraising team and you'd like your colleagues to have extra skill and confidence to be more interesting, more inspiring, more able to help donors connect to what they really care about to do with your cause when they talk to your supporters or when they're writing to your supporters, 
then this course we teach, Storytelling and Influence, is the one that gets results. If you're at all curious, you can find out more information on my website, which is brightspotfundraising.co.uk forward slash services, brightspotfundraising.co.uk forward slash services. There's some information there, or if you'd just like to go to the website and get in touch with me to set up a chat, you can do that and we would love to hear from you. For now though, back to the interview as Ben asks me about one of the episodes that he's found to be especially helpful for fundraisers to listen to this year. That reminds me a lot of one of the podcasts that I've certainly referred people to at the moment because of the tilt towards digital fundraising, um, which was the Emily Casson podcast. Yeah, and this really is, just from watching social media, this is the one one of the ones that resonates so much with people. And I think um, it's partly because Emily is really fabulous at what she does. And it's also clearly because of the situation we find ourselves in where every charity is is having to work harder at what it's doing digitally than it uh, probably did before March of 2020. Um, If listeners haven't heard that one before, one of the key things you get from the first the original interview, episode 15, is um, Emily's overarching philosophy. I mean, they've achieved truly stunning results at Cats Protection, even even before the pandemic hit. Uh, Within four years, I think the income at Cats Protection achieved digitally went up from around 250,000 to just over 4 million or just under 4 million in four years. And um, there are so many tactics by which that was achieved. But I think the biggest learning point was the importance of getting your philosophy right, your beliefs right. And in that very first interview, Emily said, you know, my mantra and the mantra of my team is think big, start small, scale quickly or fail fast. And she talks through the logic of each four of those elements and how if you truly follow through on those ideas, you know, you don't have to be a large charity. You could be a small charity. If you really get your head around why that philosophy makes sense in digital fundraising, uh, then everybody can make use of this medium, which is now more important than ever. And if I can squeeze an extra one in, because it's it's my show, I'm going to cheat. Um, Emily also did a couple of excellent ones later on during the pandemic. And again, I... I part of the notion of bright spots to me, my, my you know business philosophy for the last 20 years is finding examples that confound the received wisdom, not to make the rest of us feel small, but to give all of us hope that, ah, oh, maybe I should cross question some of the, the, the things that my, my colleagues are saying, which may not be true. And in episode 25, right off the bat, Emily talks about the results that her charity were achieving in April through Facebook advertising, which was quadruple what it would have been in April uh, in 2019. Wow. And she goes on to explain, well, part of the reason why is, A, people have not sco- stopped caring. You know, this is not a human human health charity. This is an animal charity she re- represents. But people have not stopped caring about their favourite cause. And secondly, just extraordinary data about how much time we've been spending on our phones during 2020 and especially during lockdowns stuck at home compared to normal times. And with those twin insights, she yeah. and her colleagues have quite deliberately, you know, they've made use of that 
that last bit of her philosophy, which is scale quickly. When they find something's working, they reinvest and keep find a way to keep investing in things that are working in a way that I think many charities struggle to be nimble and agile and bold in that respect. And um, I know we didn't want to dwell too much on one, but were, I got a sense from listening to you interview her that there were moments when there were numbers that she'd used or things that her team were trying out that were just surprising how how many of something they were doing or how deep they went on a particular type of test. Can you remember when you were talking to her or in any of those podcasts, um, what some of the moments where you went, wow, I, I wouldn't have expected most to do that? You know what, one of my favourite bits, because I just personally, I, I often kind of get a bit overwhelmed with the notion of, of testing which emails are working better or uh, we get, um, just analysing data broadly. <laughs> People who know me well, they're aware that's not, not a natural strength. And uh, so I, I asked Emily, you know, you, you say kind of, let's keep learning, let, let's test stuff start small and see if it works and do more of what works and so on. But for those, how do you do that? Are you just endlessly looking at massive spreadsheets? And she said, well, yes, I am. And, and our, you know, the level of testing uh, and the different factors that are interacting in, in our projects now is, is quite considerable. But, but uh, you know, Emily, uh, she works full-time at um, Cats Protection, but she's also extremely hardworking and generous hearted in, in doing, you know, helping some other small organizations on a pro bono basis. So she, she, she gets what it's like to be in a small charity without resources. And she said, look, at its simplest, what you could do is if you're going to set, send emails uh, across the year, you could just choose each month, we're going to test a different factor. Uh, so in January, we might be testing this headline versus that headline and in February we might be t testing this image of a cat versus that image of a cat and so on and even if you don't do it every month but if you just decide most months we're gonna kind of quite deliberately do a split test an a b test and notice what results we get of of this choice how it performs against that choice if that's all you do like most of us could manage to, to not only send the email to raise the money, but also be testing one thing each time we do. Yeah. And then the other bit that let me off the hook was, but, and if you're not a person who, for whom the, the analyzing of, of data to, to get this better uh, segmentation and, and choosing of tactics better, just recognize that and, you know, see if you could get a volunteer or some kind of intern to come in two hours a week, two hours a month and do the analyzing for you. You know, th yep. that's what she recommends to lots of small organizations. And most organizations have someone out there who cares about your cause and who has that skill set because, you know, they're good at it. It's what they do for their job. And if, if you reached, reached out by email or made a few phone calls, let it be known you were looking for someone to help you with, with that element so that we get so much more efficient doing more of what works. She was saying many small organisations she knows have done that, and it's it's actually a very doable thing. But obviously, you've got to prioritise that as a yep. you know a way we're going to work in twenty twenty one. But I, I think that's um, a, a really practical one because it's it's not 
asking us to suddenly be good at something that that potentially we we may not have time for or, or may not be our real strength absolutely so that was podcast episodes 15 and 25 and and there may be some others near there as well which sounds like they're the podcast episodes when lorna taylor started listening uh because if i have a look at this uh twitter feed she says she is loving the rob woods bright spot fundraising podcast so much it motivated me to finally figure out how to listen to media on my phone through the car speakers so i can listen on the way into work um so many useful ideas i've just listened to the first digital fundraising one um so lorna if you're listening in the car keep your eyes on the road but <laughs> We're really pleased to hear that sort of feedback. And I know, Rob, you've, you've heard feedback from people all, all throughout these episodes. Yeah, in, in fact, I, I, I uh, had intended to mostly kind of teach on this, but kind of I am so grateful, so humbled by the way that this show has taken off and more and more people are listening now, especially because of the situation charities find themselves in in, in 2020. Um and you know, it, it may be that people would have found some of these episodes anyway if they were diligently searching on uh, iTunes or wherever. But but it's also true that part of the reason the show has managed to, to grow so quickly and get this following is because you lovely listeners have, have not only listened, you've gone out and t taken a couple of minutes to then share a tweet or something on LinkedIn. Um, and I just, whoever you are, I'm really grateful. Um, one of the people who, who does it consistently, uh, Gemma Young, you're probably out on a run now. Um, just thank you for always um, spreading the word. Um, and, you know, because of this stuff, we've, you know, charities and fundraisers I've never trained in New Zealand and, you know, the United States and Belgium. And uh, on social media, I'm, I'm hearing that it's reaching places that ordinarily I would never be able to reach and it's happening because you kind listeners are, are good enough to, to shout about it. So for those of you who've, who've found, found a moment to talk about the podcast uh, on social media or like Stevie Nicholson to, to share it with your colleagues and do a sort of learning hour every couple of weeks and then talk about it. However you've done it, if you like the content and you've spread it on, I'm ever so grateful. And also for, I, I know time is so precious, but those of you who've, who've found time also to go to iTunes or Spotify and leave a review. Just last week, uh, Katie Hillett, thank you. And Tanya left very kind reviews. Um, and this is wonderful for my vanity, but the, the main reason I'm thinking is, is it, it just causes the podcast mm. to be more easily found by people who are searching for something on this subject. So thank you. All of that said, uh, one of my other favorite episodes uh, was, I think it was episode 20, I might be wrong, but it was the first show I did about creating virtual events that are not just another boring zoom call but are, that are in and of themselves inspiring and more likely to help your donors feel really good and connect with it with each other and with your cause and with your colleagues and i first learned most about this from linda harwood compton but that that really early episode was interesting because although we released it i think it was in march and lots of charities were realizing they couldn't do normal events anymore to inspire their donors. Uh, Linda and her colleagues at Animal Asia had already been testing how to do inspiring webinars or virtual project visits for their supporters since November of 2019. Uh, and, you know, they came up with a, a fabulous recipe that their donors were loving that connected them to the people out there in the field 
um, uh, kind of helping protect the bears. And uh, episode 19, Linda just goes through a bunch of her top tips for how to not only have the courage to get on and pilot one of those, but also the things, her recipe broadly of, of how they've, the things that it takes to make it work, to make them exciting, enticing, and indeed to help you generate further income as a strategy for doing that. And um, Rob, just to check, I've got down here that she's done a couple of podcasts, I think. One of them is episode 13. Um, oh yes, that, that was the original one, yes. Yeah, and, and then 19, I think, after that as well. So I hope you found these ideas helpful. And if you'd like to see a full transcript and a summary of the episode, you can find those on the blog and podcast section of our website, which is brightspotfundraising.co.uk. And if you'd like some more ideas and examples to help you succeed during the pandemic, then please do check out my ebook called Power Through the Pandemic, which gives seven strategies to help you raise more money, even now through major donors, corporates and trusts. You can download it for free from brightspotfundraising.co.uk forward slash power. That's brightspotfundraising.co.uk forward slash power. And if you want to get in touch or to share the podcast to colleagues in your charity or on social media, thank you ever so much for your help spreading the word. And Ben and I would love to hear what you think about the ideas we talked about today. We are both on LinkedIn and on Twitter. Ben is at Ben Swart and I am at Woods underscore Rob. Thank you so much for listening today. If you found it helpful, do remember to subscribe to the podcast and I wish you good luck in your fundraising today as you do your best to make a difference. Mm-hmm.